Please take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. It's been over a month since we uh, looked at the Gospel of Mark. And if you recall, Mark 6 was a rather long chapter. And it dealt first with the death of John the Baptist and the wicked heart of King Herod. Jesus was under pressure from Herod as well as other uh, groups in that time. Uh, Herod thought that um, Jesus was uh, John the Baptist, whom he had murdered, and yet he saw the similarities between the works of Christ and the works of John the Baptist and thought that somehow uh, John the Baptist had come back from the dead to haunt him. Chapter 6 also included the feeding of the 5,000 and also included the account of Christ, excuse me, Christ walking on the water to meet the disciples as they toiled in the boat at night on the Sea of Galilee. And most recently, we saw in the opening verses of chapter 7, another group that has consistently been antagonistic against the work of Christ, and that was those of the Pharisees. We, see, we saw the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and how Jesus used this to teach his disciples that true defilement comes from within, that the heart is what truly matters. And our text this evening, beginning in verse 24, shifts gears a bit and brings us to a new location. In a masterful way, Mark again pulls back the curtain a little bit more on who Jesus is and why he came. In our text this evening, we see that Jesus uses an unlikely person in an unlikely place to show mercy and demonstrate his plan of salvation, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And the unnamed Gentile woman in our text exhibited great faith and understanding beyond many who met Jesus and even beyond the disciples at times, it seems. Her faith should serve as an example for us all and the miracle of her daughter's healing was a prelude to the great salvation that Christ brings to all nations. So let us pray and then let us read this text beginning with Mark seven twenty four. Let us pray. Lord God, we are weak, and we need your Spirit to help us. We ask that you would strengthen us. May your word go forth with power tonight, in spite of the weakness of the vessel. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lesson of the Syrophoenician woman that we will see tonight. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Mark seven twenty four, From there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word this evening. I would like us to consider this text under four headings, and I think it will help us to see the details of this account. First of all, we want to see the request of faith from this woman. 
Secondly, the rebuttal, the answer from Christ. Thirdly, the response of the woman. And finally, the reward of faith. First of all, let us consider the request that this woman brings. Now, there are several things that we should notice about this request. And and the first thing should seem obvious to us. And that is that this request was bold. It was almost reckless. It, It defied the conventions of that day. Several things it defied. First of all, this woman was a Gentile. Jesus was in Gentile territory. He was in the the region of Tyre and Sidon. It was about 35 miles northwest of Galilee. Mark calls her a Syrophoenician. Matthew, in his account, calls her a Canaanite. And that should bring to mind the nations that God drove out of the promised land. The Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Hivites, all of those nations that were wicked nations that God judged. Matthew calls this woman a Canaanite. And yet, being a Gentile, she comes with bold and reckless faith, seeking Christ to heal her daughter and cast out the demon that is tormenting her. The area of Tyre and nearby Sidon were synonymous with idolatry. Jezebel, if you'll recall, in the Old Testament was... Certainly a woman known for her wickedness. We see that even in the New Testament because she symbolized wickedness even in the book of Revelation. She was the wife of the wicked Ahab. She was a Sidonian princess. It was an area of great idolatry and wickedness. Secondly, this woman defied conventions in that she was a woman. She was not just a Gentile. She was a woman in coming to Christ. Thirdly, it was her daughter who was possessed by a demon. Those three things were three strong strikes against her. And many rabbis wouldn't have even given her the time of day. Yet in her boldness and desperation, she came to Christ with her need. Not only did she offer a bold request, she offered a believing request. She cast herself unreservedly at the feet of Christ. She cried out. She knew that there was no hope for her anywhere else. She came to Jesus with faith, seeking his help. We see also that her request was a humble request. She literally fell at his feet. She recognized that she had no standing with Christ. She came humbly seeking his help. Even after Christ's first words of rebuttal, as Matthew tells us, she cried out again and simply says, Lord, help me. She was desperate and she recognized her need. We see the request of faith from this woman. Secondly, we see the rebuttal of Christ. The response that Jesus gives is very unexpected, to say the least. We might have expected him to say something like this. Woman, great is your faith. Your daughter has been made whole. Go in peace. But no, Jesus doesn't say that. He says something very different, something that seems somewhat cryptic and and honestly a little bit offensive to us. Look at verse 27 with me again. He said... To her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. We are, we, we are somewhat taken aback by that. We recoil a little bit and, and whisper or, or perhaps at least think to ourselves, oh, that sounds a little harsh. What is Jesus saying? He's in effect calling this woman a dog. What is going on? Why does he respond to her in this way? Well, let us first consider the content of his words. We see, first of all, that that it is plain to see that Jesus is talking about the the Jews, 
the people of Israel. They are the children of God. That is what the Old Testament calls them. And who were the dogs? Well, they were clearly the Gentiles. They were clearly those that were outside of the covenant. In Matthew's account, again, it's, it's helpful to see a parallel account. Jesus is also recorded as saying that he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's clear that he is talking about the Jews and the Gentiles here. But what is he saying? Is he, is he genuinely insulting this woman? Is he simply trying to put her in her place? This woman who with, with boldness came to him, who really had no right by, by the, the conventions of that day, is he just trying to put her in her place? Sinclair Ferguson says in his commentary, he says it was more of a parable than a put down. And I like that phrase because there was something Jesus was doing in his reply to this woman. Did this woman see him simply as a miracle man? <clears throat> was her trust in him as Lord or was she just there to get what she could out of him? No, Jesus was not simply insulting her. He was he was testing her faith. He was gently testing her faith to strengthen it and see if it was real. And he was also out to demonstrate to his disciples a clearer picture of his great kingdom that's come to the Jew and the Gentile alike. And we see that in the response of the woman. We see it in verse 28. She answered him, "Yes, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She built on this word picture that Jesus had started, which rightly showed that salvation did first come to the Jews. It was the Jews that brought the message and the means of salvation. It was the family of Abraham that the promise was given to, which became the nation of Israel to whom were given the promises, the law and the prophets. And it was to this ethnicity and this group of people, this nation that Christ came and, and, they, and Jesus was a Jew. So we owe a great debt to the Jewish people. Yet, as the woman so skillfully recognized, while salvation came from and through the people of Israel, yet there is still something for the rest of us. Certainly, her response was clever, but it was more than just simply that. It was respectful, yet it showed that she was at least beginning to understand the nature of God's kingdom. Jesus had tipped her off about the order of how things had come. It was the order that Paul wrote about in those familiar words in Romans 1.16, that salvation is for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. She recognized that the rightful order of things did not place her first, yet she trusted that there was something of God's mercy there for her, even if it was just crumbs, as she said. Even the dogs are privileged to snack under the table of the children of the king from the crumbs that are dropped there. Some may look at this passage and think that this woman has bested Jesus by her shrewd reply. But no, she was only building off of this test of faith that Christ gave to her and demonstrating her faith in her hour of need. Perhaps she knew a bit about the Old Testament Perhaps even though she was a Gentile, she knew about God's promises to Abraham. That God had promised to bless Abraham in Genesis 12 in order to make him a blessing. God told Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Or perhaps she knew of Isaiah 2, which says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Or Daniel 7, which speaks of the ancient of days, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Perhaps she knew of these and other passages in Micah, Amos, or Zechariah, which let us know that the message of the Messiah would come and be spread to all nations. The response of the woman demonstrated her faith and showed to the disciples and to all the world that the work that Christ came to do was not just for the Jews, but was for the nations. We've seen this woman's request of faith, and we've seen this unusual rebuttal from the Lord Jesus that he used to test her faith and show his disciples more of why he came. Then we saw the response, the reply of the woman, that showed a surprising understanding of the order of salvation and the plan of salvation through Christ. And finally, we see the reward of faith. The glorious thing, of course, that happened is that her daughter was restored. The demon was taken away from her daughter. She was found resting. She was healed and freed from the power of this demon. And at first glance, it might appear that Jesus was only looking for the right words. Because in verse 29, it says, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. But it was not for the words that the girl was restored. It was for the faith that the words represented. We see that this woman's faith was genuine. Matthew records Christ as saying, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. She was a woman of great faith who trusted in Christ to help her in her hour of greatest need. The reward of her faith was that her daughter was restored and she was able to demonstrate more, a greater understanding for for herself, for the disciples and for us of what the nature of this plan of salvation is. It is to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. What a blessed account this is. This is a blessed account of healing and kindness on the part of our Savior It's also a reminder of his power and authority over demons. Perhaps most of all, it is a reminder of the faith of one who had every right to be timid and afraid to approach the Lord. Yet she came with boldness, faith, and humility, knowing that there was more than enough grace for her in Christ. So what are we to do with this text? Do we simply say, nice story, let's go eat a casserole? No, let's think about it a little more. First of all, let us consider that salvation is from the Jew. There is an advantage to being a Jew, Paul says, for they have been entrusted with the very words of God. I think we need to make it a point to pray regularly for the salvation of the Jewish people because it is we owe them a great debt. It is through them that salvation has come unto us. We have been grafted into their tree. We should pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. Secondly, we see, of course, that salvation is not just for the Jews. It is for all nations. Intertwined in the Old Testament prophets is a mixture of both judgment upon the nations that persecuted Israel, along with mercy for Israel, but not just Israel, but for mercy for the surrounding nations as well. 
We are given glimpses of this in places like Isaiah 25, which speaks of a banquet spread for all peoples. We see this coming to full fruition on the day of Pentecost, when people of many tribes and tongues heard heard the message in their own language. And this should serve as a reminder that we have a message to tell to the nations. This message of salvation is for all people. So let's take it to all people. We see God's plan of salvation here breaking into human history. And we need to spread this message forward. Finally, we have much to learn from this woman's example of faith. It was bold. It was believing. It was trusting Are we unreservedly casting ourselves at the feet of our Savior for our needs and petitions? Her faith was persistent. She kept coming, even when when Jesus gave her something that many of us would interpret as, as, as a cold shoulder, as an open hand that says no. Yet she continued, she persisted. We need that kind of faith to stay on our knees for the things that we need. Her faith was humble. Are we humble in our asking? Do we recognize God as the sovereign creator, Lord of all? We should come as a beggar because that's what we are. We bring nothing to Christ. We have no merit. It is only in the merit of Christ. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Do we have the kind of faith that keeps us coming to Christ boldly, persistently, and humbly for our needs and petitions. I pray that God would grant us that kind of faith. Let us pray.